Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 649 of the Juicebox Podcast. Today, you'll hear me talk with Christina. Christina has diabetes, Addison's disease, gastroparesis, and fibromyalgia. She is one autoimmune disease away from a basketball team, as they would say. Please remember while you're listening that nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. I went away last week with my family and I've rested, haven't spoken in this microphone for about nine days, and my voice is feeling very strong. I feel very deep. I have a lot of timber. This will go away this week as I do five interviews in the next four days. Probably rag myself right back to where my voice is cracking and everything while I'm trying to do the opens for these podcasts. But that's not your problem. It's mine. Let's get to the show, shall we? Ooh, you know what I haven't said in a while? Well, in my life, I haven't said in a while, but in your life, I probably just said it yesterday. Uh, now I ran out of music. Hold on, I'll tell you in a second. If you have type 1 diabetes and are a U.S. resident, or you're a U.S. resident who is the caregiver of someone with type 1, please go to t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox. Join the T1D Exchange registry complete their survey, and just a few minutes later, you will have helped people with type 1 diabetes. That's it. When you fill out the survey, it actually helps people. And the podcast benefits. So it's like a two-for-one deal. You're doing something nice for people and me. So, I mean, t1dexchange.org forward slash juice box. Get over there right now. Do your business. I mean, after you listen to Christina. You know what I'm saying. Listen to... All right, now I've confused myself. Listen to the podcast, then go fill out the exchange. Oh, you know what else? And then support the sponsors. Click on their links, buy their products, let them know you came from me. This show is sponsored today by the glucagon that my daughter carries, Gvoke Hypopen. Find out more at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juice box. My name is Christina. I have been a type 1 diabetic for 15 years although I was misdiagnosed for almost 10 years as type two. Um, and I am ready to share my story. Cool. I have to tell you that being misdiagnosed for a decade is a long time. And I've heard a lot of people misdiagnosed with type two. Yeah. Who are type yeah. Two. I found out it's not an unusual story at all. I am technically Lada, which has uh, is a lot more people are misdiagnosed with type two initially um, that have LADA. So, um, but yeah, I was on insulin in the first year, um, had DKA a couple times. I mean, all of the signs were there that this was not a type two, but um, you know, doctors get it in their head that you, what you look like and, and that's yeah. yeah. Um, a, a type two can't, I mean, type twos don't go into DKA, right? That. It's rare. And I even had a doctor that said, well, this is kind of unusual, but I'm still confident you're type two. And I just was going, really? I just, I didn't know enough. I wasn't really taught anything initially from diagnosis either. And I just didn't know the right questions to ask. I didn't know to push it. I just thought, 
okay, I'm a little bit different than, but yeah, I just, I had other friends that were type two and nothing I was going through ever seemed to match what they were going through. Mm -hmm. But I really, and then I, I actually had a doctor once look at me and said, well, it doesn't really matter what type you are. The treatment's the same. (laughs) Is it now? And I just kind of was like, uh, and I, but I believed him. So I really didn't know any better than to listen to what I was being told. And honestly, it really just took years for me to finally go. Something's not right here and to learn what to go in and ask for. So I just finally went in and I said, I want an antibody test and a C-peptide. And even the doctor was like, oh, I don't think that that's necessary. And I went, no, I want it. And I just would not stop saying that until she finally went, okay, we'll order it. And then I still remember her calling me up and she had the most sheepish voice where she went, you're right. You're not type two. What, what, what led you to believe that that was the case that you were type that you were type one? So honestly, the change happened for me. Um, One of the families that I was babysitting for regularly, their son was diagnosed with type one. And that kind of was a game changer as I went through that diagnosis process with them and um, finally started learning a lot more about type one and the differences um, through experiencing that with them. And that finally led me to start Googling more myself and trying to learn more um, about the differences. And that's when I first read about LADA and I went, oh, that seems to fit me a whole lot more um, than type two. And so that really was the start of the change for me was just, um, learning how to treat his type one and realizing there was a lot more similar similarities to his diabetes than I had ever met with any type two. Hmm. What, what, so tell me a little bit about Lada because I, I freely admit that I don't know that I could describe it properly. What's your understanding? So, Essentially, first of all, it's a latent autoimmune diabetes in adults. Um, So I did test positive for two of the antibodies, although not for GAD, which was kind of interesting. Um, But two of the other ones I tested positive for the antibodies. And then I've had a very slow loss of my insulin production. So whereas most type ones usually within the first year lose all of their insulin production, um, mine was really slow. So, um, I honeymooned actually for close to 11 to 12 years. Hmm. Um, and I do actually, uh, credit some of that to being on insulin pretty early. So as I was on insulin, um, in that first year, um, that helped protect my, my pancreas then didn't have to work so hard and that. uh, Oh, Christina, you're gone. Um, so Christina, you, you blanked out for a second. Your pancreas didn't have to work so hard. My pancreas didn't have to work quite so hard. And that helps protect the beta cells that you have left okay. from being stressed. So you can prolong your, your honeymoon by using really insulin. long with Lada by using insulin. Um, Is that right? By, in, by using insulin. And I did actually have an endocrinologist early on that put me on a seven thirty split insulin. And that worked really well for years for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, he still at the time, though, was thinking I was type two. So he wasn't perfect, but he did find the right combination of insulin um, to kind of help take the stress off of my pancreas because I was still producing some of my own at that time. Okay. Um, And 
Can yeah. So I have, a, um, I have a question about that. So you, you're, you're living for 10 years with a misdiagnosis. Uh -huh. Um, looking back now, cause now, you know, you've lived five years with a diagnosis looking back now, what, what were the personal harms to you? Like of the misdiagnosis? Yeah. So when I was diagnosed as type two initially, um, and honestly, that was just an assumption that was kind of accidentally discovered in the ER, although I had been sick for months um, and the doctors hadn't been able to figure out what was going on. I mean, I had a lot of the classic signs of diabetes and they just never thought to do a finger prick. Um, so I just happened and they came in and they're like, are you diabetic? And I went, well, not that I know, but something's not been right for a while. And they're like, well, your blood sugar is like 350. And I, that was like a fasting blood sugar because I hadn't been keeping food down. So that was interesting. But um, so I met, I mean, they just sent me home from the ER and they just said, well, you need to follow up with your, with your doctor um, because you might be diabetic. Uh, and then the doctor just did the typical, put me on metformin, gave me a meter, said test a couple times a day. Well, that first three months, I did everything exactly what I was told to do. I changed my diet. I took my meds. I checked my blood sugar and I went in for my three month checkup and my A1C really had not moved all that much. I still was getting 200s and 300s regularly on my meter. Mm -hmm. And the doctor just said, well, you're not doing good enough. You need to do better. And to me, that was basically a motivation killer. I went, oh my goodness, I have been killing myself to get these numbers under control. Now I was only testing like two or three times a day. So, because that's all I was told to test. Right. So I didn't realize that I hadn't really even gotten it that much better, but essentially at that point I gave up. Mm -hmm. I just went, why am I killing myself to get this better, to have very little improvement? And I, yeah, I basically went, okay, well, okay. I've already tried my hardest and I didn't do any better. So I give up. Why am I do, working so hard if it's not going to get me any better to my goal? And my, and my doctor's just going to still tell me I'm not doing well enough. And so, there, was, there was no real difference between the effort and the non-effort, right? Right, you know, right. Exactly. I think my A1C came down like one point. It came from like 12 to 11 or something like yeah. that. I mean, it was very little improvement. So honestly, I am an all or nothing kind of person. And I put all my heart into it for no real improvement. So I went back and pretended I wasn't a diabetic anymore. I did still take the metformin, but I went back to my old diet. I just really was like, okay, if there's no difference, then why am I working so hard? Mm -hmm. um, and that lasted for about three or four years where I just, that's where I ended up going into DKA a couple of times because I really wasn't trying. And even once I put on, was put on insulin, I was only half-heartedly taking it. I wasn't being consistent. I wasn't, I wasn't even often testing before I took insulin. I mean, I just was, well, I'll kind of take it to say that I kind of tried, but, and then, um, yeah, it just really was a mood killer for me. So I really was like, why am I trying so hard? And I would go through periods of time where I would kind of try again a little bit and nothing just really seemed to work. I was not getting my A1C anywhere near where I supposed to. And I had the doctors that were using the scare tactics of you need to do this. So you're going to kill your kidneys. You're going to lose a foot. And I just went, but I've tried doing everything you said and it didn't work. So I guess this is just my lot in life. 
can can I ask you when when you first of all, how old are you at this point? I am now forty two. You are now. You're forty two. So I was twenty seven oh, at okay. diagnosis. All right. So you're in your late twenties ish, and. So when you tell them, look, I'm trying as hard as I can, and they're saying do better, they don't offer any change nope. in change in nope. tactics, or it's just no. you're not trying hard enough. So do you think their yeah. assumption was that you weren't even doing the things they told you to do? Oh, yeah. I had a doctor that looked right at me, and I said, I am trying. And he's like, I don't believe you. Oh, fun. And I went, okay, well, uh yeah. So, I mean, I would, I would kind of go through like a month or two where I really would kind of resolve, okay, I'm going to try again. And again, I would not see really any effort and I still would go in and get yelled at again. And so um, it really, the second time I was in DKA, I did have a doctor that finally really got my attention. He looked at me and he said, if you don't change what you're doing, you are going to be in kidney, kidney failure or dead in a year. He's like, you cannot keep having blood sugars this high and he's like you came really close again this time and he was the first one that looked at me and he said I know how hard this is I know how impossible this feels but you have got to find a way to get this under control or you are not going to survive this did that doctor offer any ideas no 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 concrete advice but he was just really more supportive did... while he wasn't helping you yeah. Yeah. So I finally decided I couldn't change. I couldn't do this all or nothing. So I made it my goal every month. I was going to reduce one bad habit. So for me, the first thing was no more soda, <laughs> no more sugary drinks. No more. Like I just was like, okay, I can do one thing. I can do one thing. And so I just got into the mindset. That's also about the time that I did get the endocrinologist that finally got me on the 70, 30 split insulin um, that seemed to work a lot better than what we had been trying. Um, and I just thought, okay, I'm going to tackle one bad habit at a time rather than just trying to totally change everything at once. Mm -hmm. And that worked a lot better for me. Once I got one bad habit out of the way, then I could work on another one. And with this endocrinologist's help um, and getting on the right combination of insulin, um, I finally started to get better. I mean, I still never had an A1C under maybe seven and a half, but I at least got out of the double digit A1Cs for the first time. Um, and when I got down to about 7.5, I, I usually was in the upper sevens during that point. And I thought, okay, they're not yelling at me anymore. They're not telling me that I'm a bad diabetic. And um, so, yeah, but it became more of a change one habit at a time because trying to change everything at once, really, I just couldn't sustain it. It, it was overwhelming. What are some, I just, of, the, what are some of the yeah. other things that you uh, that you changed besides the, um, the soda? Um, I did that. And then I tackled, um, okay, um, really be consistent on my insulin. Okay. Take it when I'm supposed to um, test my blood sugar when I'm supposed to, other than, ah, I kind of know how I feel. Um, I really finally got support for getting enough strips to test as often as I should be testing, which for me, I, although they still had me on the test before you eat and test two hours after kind of standard mm -hmm. um, test when you get up in the morning um, test before you go to bed at night. Um, I got on a, they really wanted me on a more regimented 
eating schedule where you eat at these times and you take this much insulin, which I still wasn't taught carb counting. I still wasn't taught some of the things that I really should have still been doing, but, um, and I was taught to do corrections. So I wasn't letting myself, if I was too high after a meal, although it was a little bit difficult on the 70, 30 split. Um, I, and then I kind of learned my meals. Okay. This is how much insulin I need for this meal. Um, so I wasn't necessarily taught carb counting, but sometimes some meals I knew would hit me a little harder and I would take a little bit extra. Um, even though it was a little bit more than I was told I was supposed to take at that meal. So, and a lot of it was really getting the diet under control. I definitely had a sugar addiction going into this diabetes and was not eating a very healthy diet. So it was more of switching out high carb foods for lower carb foods. And, um, I wasn't striving for perfection anymore either. Like I got into the mindset of, uh, I can't, stand the thought of never drinking soda again. So I'll drink one once a year. <laughs> and then I'm like, I will have one day a year where I will enjoy one soda because for me, the thought of never having it again was unthinkable. So I started doing that with other foods too, other favorites where I'd go, okay, I'm not going to tell myself I'm never going to eat this again, but I'm going to save it for, you know, birthdays or celebrations, uh, you know, holidays. Um, and that worked. I could, I could not eat it knowing that I would have a time coming up again in a few months where I would get to enjoy it again. What, um, can I ask you, um, maybe this is not related, but what part of the like, part of the country do you live in? I've lived in a lot of places. Um, so where'd you grow up? I, I grew up in Southern California. Interesting. Okay. So that's not where I am now. Um, and that's not where I was when I was diagnosed, but, um, <laughs> Yeah. So well, no, that I just, um, I just, I asked because I mean, I think soda is one of those things that is just universally understood, right? Like we all know that's not good for you. And, and yeah, 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 yeah. And I just um, wondered, yeah, I, I wondered where you grew up that, um, that it was, you know, such a big part. Oh, of I didn't, I didn't grow up on it. That was definitely an adult breaking free get to do what I want. Oh, okay. okay. Oh, no, that's so, interesting. I, I, yeah, I mean, it was something that was a special treat as a kid and I loved it and I always wanted to drink it. It just, honestly, for me as an adult, it was my source of caffeine. Um, mm. I wasn't a big coffee drinker and it really was what I used to sustain my energy during the day. Um, and honestly, I I didn't gain weight. I didn't, I mean, there really didn't seem to be an immediate consequence to it. I knew it wasn't the greatest for me, but there was no immediate consequences at the time. So I, yeah, I kind of used it thinking, well, if it ever starts to cause problem, then I'll stop. Gotcha. Um, kind of mindset. Are so you, are you, a, um, do you think you were addicted to the caffeine or the, sh you oh, the bull. sugar? Oh, bull. yeah, it was, it, it definitely, I mean, I definitely, I, I actually had a job at the time I was working about 60 hours a week and most of my food was coming from the drive through or the freezer because I just, yeah, working long hours. And I, and I was working as a nanny with young kids and anyone knows that's exhausting. So the last thing you come home and want to do is make a meal. Um, make healthy food. So, I mean, I just, I was living on fast food and freezer meals and 
stuff that was not good for being a diabetic. So it was, it was a major life change for me to get diagnosed. Um, but again, that first three months I knocked myself out. I went, I, I, I really put my heart into changing my diet. I switched to diet soda, which in itself, I just ended up giving it up because that didn't end up being the greatest either. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, I just, I really, I, I got my, I was actually making meals, making effort, trying to make things from scratch, at least trying healthier alternatives. And then I got my A1C back and they're like, you're not doing good enough. And it just was like, I don't know how I could do any better. Like, well, what, uh, what, hmm, what's my question here? So how long does that go on for? Like, like how many years are you in a double digit A1C? That I was actually trying to go back and calculate. That was about my first four years. Okay. Wow. Um, and then that's when I had kind of the DKA again, where the doctor really got my attention and said, Hey, you can't keep living like this. You're gonna kill your kidneys. You're gonna kill your health. You're you, I can't guarantee you're going to survive the next DKA. And I just went, okay, you're at I mean, that was the first time where it really scared me how close I, I really, when I went into the, I, I felt like I was dying that time. But you, um, but you're still being and, treated as a type two and you believe you have yep. type two diabetes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Right. Oh yeah. They, they keep telling me, Oh no, you're type two. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just went, okay, I, it, it must just be really different from the other type twos I know. And uh, so, yeah. So and try, honestly, what do you, what do you do next then I, when it, when it ramps up, when you have that, that next DKA and you're like, okay, I'm going to try harder, whatever that means. Like, what does that end up meaning? Like, is it again, changing my diet, getting my eating habits and my really terrible mm-hmm. eating habits under control, taking my insulin consistently, testing my blood sugar when they, t- you know, when they've told me that I'm supposed to be testing. Um, and yeah, just yeah. I, really the two big things were getting my diet under control and taking my insulin consistently. Um, even when I didn't feel like it, even when I didn't want to telling myself, no, this is when I need to take it. Um, honestly, I had never been one that liked needles before. And the thought of having to deal with needles every day for the rest of my life was something also really just emotionally hard for me to deal with because I didn't like it. Yeah, sure. And I I, kept getting told, I kept getting told, you'll get used to it. You'll get used to it, which on the one hand was kind of true. But on the other hand, I didn't like it any better. (laughs) It didn't help me start liking. Yeah. I keep waiting for someone to come on here and talk about how much they like needles. It hasn't happened so far. Yeah. So I just, I just went, okay, this is what I have to do. And I have to accept that this is just going to be part of my life now. And I can't keep telling myself, I don't feel like doing this. Um, So so, let me fill this in here. So latent autoimmune diabetes in adults or LADA is a disorder in which despite the presence of isolate antibodies at diagnosis of diabetes, the progression of autoimmune B cell failure is slow. Yes. So, so here it says it could be at least the the first six months, but it sounds like you were getting help for a while, like longer. Yeah, because I wasn't being a good diabetic. They put me on insulin pretty quickly mm-hmm. um, because the oral medications alone weren't helping. 
now again, then for that first four years, I was not consistently taking the insulin. Um, but, um, I've actually know other people that have lasted as long as I did, um, by, and, and it seems like early insulin is the key to support your pancreas because it's trying to make more and more and more insulin to address the high blood sugars. And that just puts a lot of stress. So, um, by supporting my own pancreas insulin production that seemed to be able to preserve my beta cells um, a really long time. I've heard, I've actually heard two to 10 years is the average for people with Lada for how long the honeymoon. It's sad though that when you talk about it, when you say, I know you're tongue in cheek, I can hear it when you're like, you know, because I wasn't a good diabetic, they gave me insulin, but yeah, but the real sentence there should be because I was misdiagnosed as a type right. two, right? And I had but in, Lada, and they figured it out. Right. They gave me <laughs> they, right. That would have been the better, yeah, the better. You, you had the right thing there. happen eventually for the wrong reasons. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So they were just trying to get my blood sugars down, and it wasn't working on just the orals. So they thought, well, then I, we guess we need to give you some insulin. Um, so. Yeah. Um, hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty much completely insulin dependent at this point and just have a very different life now than, well, um, well, do they, I said. do they treat you now? Like, do you have a, like your proper diagnosis now? Are you a type one or are you LADA? So on paper, there is no diagnosis for LADA. So I'm on paper now type one. So Um, that was almost five years ago. And what that eventually meant for me though, was, uh, once my diagnosis was changed on paper from type one to type two, I suddenly qualified for an insulin pump Mm -hmm. and then I qualified for a CGM. So I was able to get tools that I didn't have access to as a type two that suddenly was no problem. Once they were able to change the diagnosis on for me to type one, Hmm that opened a whole new world. And then that caused me to go get involved in the type one community and suddenly meet people that was like, Oh my goodness, your diabetes is exactly like mine. Yeah. So that just also, and then there was a lot of guilt that I couldn't with diet and exercise, get off the insulin that suddenly was gone. That I really felt guilty still as a type two being on insulin. I felt like that still was a failure somehow because even once I got my diet under control and everything, I tried actually a few times to wean off the insulin and I couldn't. And that made me feel like, and I mean, I actually was able at one point to lose a bunch of weight and I tried to get off the insulin and I couldn't. And that made me feel like there, I was doing something wrong because why can't I I mean, I I was still being told, oh yeah, if you get this under control, you should be able to, you know, get off your insulin. And when I couldn't do it, I kept feeling like there was something I was doing wrong. So there was a big emotional shift also getting correctly diagnosed as type one Right. that went, okay, this is, this is not my fault. But no one, I'm not, <laughs> but no one, Christina, no one ever said to you, if you do this by using these tools or taking these steps, it was just like, if you would just do this better or differently, but with no context to what that meant, there was never context. No. And actually I had an endocrinologist, um, 
where right about the time where I decided I was going to push for the type one diagnosis, um, my A1C started going up just for no random reason. And I had my A1C go from like a 7.5 to an 8.9 in a three month period of time. Now it just did happen to be over the Thanksgiving Christmas time. Um, but I was still being a very disciplined eater. Um, but I asked my endocrinologist, I said, so my A1C is going up, what should we do? And he's like, well, you probably ate more sweets over the holiday than you thought you did. And I said, no, I didn't. I still, I said I had maybe on the actual Thanksgiving, on the actual Christmas, yes, I had some treats. But I said, I ate my regular diet the rest of the, you know, rest of the normal days. And he went, well, you still must be eating more than you thought you did. <laughs> and I went, I, I, listen, he if... didn't, he didn't increase my insulin. He did just said, Nothing. you probably ate more than you thought you did. He should have to do a podcast because you can't, I... you can't ask leading <laughs> questions like that. You're not supposed to say, I assume this is what you make. Sometimes I do it too, but I mean, but not in a health situation, in a health situation. And that I went, and that was my final straw where I went, okay, something's not right here yeah. because I did not. Well, I really think it's just my insulin, my own insulin production went down and we needed to up my insulin again. So, but he just, he literally looked at that increase of A1C and told me, well, you must've been eating more sweets over the holidays than you thought you did. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I just went, that was my final straw where I went, something's not right here because I know I didn't do that. Yeah. And my A1C went up for no apparent reason. Um, so how so, do you start to figure stuff out for yourself then? <laughs> right. So that's when I went, okay, I really don't think I'm type two anymore. And I learned, okay, what do I have to ask for? So I, I actually never went back to the endocrinologist again. I called up my insurance and went, who else can I go to? Because that was the most ridiculous answer I have ever heard to explain you what my A1C went up for no apparent reason. So you, you must have done this. I didn't. Right. Well, you must have. But I didn't. Yeah. Oh, well, then we'll stop talking about it now. That's it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So I went to a brand new endocrinologist and I walked in and I went, I want to see peptide and antibody panel. And again, she also looked at me and went, Oh, I'm pretty confident you're type two. <laughs> I, I After just having would met not... you for five seconds. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. She looked over my records that got sent for my other endo and she went, Oh no, I'm pretty confident you're type two. And honestly, yes. Have I always been a little overweight? Yes. But I just went, I just kept saying it over and over and over again until she went, okay, we'll cool. order it. I don't think we need to, but we'll all order it. And then, and then <laughs> finally she comes back to you and says, oh yeah, you have type one. Or exactly. You're, or you're a lotta or whatever. Yeah. She's like, your, your, your C peptide is really low and yeah, um, your antibodies are positive. Did, so. did, did that, did that statement I, start with, Hey, Christine, I want to apologize. You were no, right. No, nope, nope, no apology. She just went. She just went, hey, you know, some interesting results. Um, Crazy enough. Yeah. <laughs> you seem to understand <laughs> so. with the internet and everything. And, and oh, by the way, all your personal experiences for the last, you know, decade yeah. that, that nobody's been listening to you about. Um, any sense of relief or did you feel like you oh, won something? Oh, I, I so hard. I so badly wanted to say I told you so. Hmm. I really had to refrain myself. From saying I told you so to her. Should have called the so. other the other doctors too. <laughs> right. I, I actually wanted to go back to every doctor that I had ever seen yeah. that told me you're yeah, like type a, two that yeah. go, Oh my goodness, look at this. If you had just and and when I researched how to find out what type you are and realized how simple of a blood test it was, I wanted to go back to every doctor and go, 
why? Why could you not just order this simple test to find out? Like, I just, I wanted to go back and go, look how easy it was. How many of those doctors were male versus female? Did you see any difference between Um, like that kind of like, um, you know how sometimes interesting male Um, male doctors kind of undervalue women sometimes? The first endocrinologist I saw after diagnosis was a woman. And I actually really kind of liked her, but then she went on maternity leave and never came back. Um, All of the rest were male until this one I switched to that I really pushed for the testing. Mm -hmm. Um, And she wasn't going to listen to me either. So I, I don't know. Um, I ended up being with her for quite a few years. Um, She was one of those. She gave me everything I asked for, but didn't ever really offer any help. So I kept going to her because she gave me everything I asked for. But she didn't ever really teach me anything or give me any guidance. Uh, so, um, but then the insurance I was on at the time, there were very few to choose from. And honestly, she was better than the guy that told me that I must have just ate more than I thought I did. So, um, you know, it's yeah. funny. You're making me feel like, you know how we always say that the American healthcare system, we always want to fix a problem after it happens, but we don't want to do anything to prevent it. But I, I don't know if it's true that we don't want to, or if it's possible that most doctors don't have the first foggiest idea of how to accomplish that. You know what I mean? Like the yeah, idea of getting yeah. ahead of a problem, being thoughtful instead of just because, because everything you've said makes me feel like their job is just to go, Oh, you, uh, this concrete thing is happening and this is what we do for that concrete thing. And, and that's it. I get, I say the thing I'm supposed to say and whether it helps yep. you or not doesn't matter because I've said it and that's my job. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that I've really felt that I can do much to change doctors at this point, but honestly, every person that I hear that's gotten diagnosed with diabetes, I tell them go in and ask for an antibody panel and a peptide. Hmm. I'm like, even if you think you're probably type two, <laughs> ask it, ask for it, you know, just there's no harm in them running that just to make sure. Um, And I've had a few others that I've heard of, like friends of friends that were were admitted with DKA and still told they had type two. And I went, oh my goodness, please tell your friend, ask for Hmm. this testing because yeah, that's really unusual. Um, And honestly, I did have a doctor look at me once and he went, adults don't get type one. There you go. Perfect. (laughs) That was his answer to me. And again, at the time, I believed him because I didn't know any different. And I asked him, why doesn't, why doesn't my type two, like my other friends with type two. And so I just, it didn't ever sit right with me, but I didn't know enough. And I didn't, and I really just was taught to trust what the doctors knew what they were talking about. And so I just accepted it Hmm. because I really didn't know any better back in those early years. And but the things now that I got told, I just, oh my goodness, I cringe. I cringe that they're still telling people that. Um, so. Oh, they definitely I, are. <laughs> yeah, I, exactly. I hear it still all the time. And I go, oh my goodness, I don't know what we can do at this point yeah, to change. I, I think sometimes it's luck of the draw. You just get a good one or you don't. Yeah. Yeah. You I know? just, so honestly, I really feel like my story has brought me to the point now that I'm able to help others avoid what I went through. So I just turn around and try to use it to help others not end up in the same situation that I was uh, being misdiagnosed and really have them push for that testing to confirm it. So um, yeah. 
Good so. for you. Well, it's you got to try to give back a little bit and right. see if you can keep somebody from right. having the same problem you had. So right. once you find out and you get your pump and all that stuff's happening, is there a, an immediate transformation or does it take you some time to figure it out? Givoke Hypopen has no visible needle and is the first pre-mixed auto-injector of glucagon for very low blood sugar in adults and kids with diabetes, ages 2 and above. Not only is Givoke Hypopen simple to administer, but it's simple to learn more about. All you have to do is go to givokeglucagon.com forward slash juice box. Givoke shouldn't be used in patients with insulinoma or pheochromocytoma. Visit givokeglucagon.com slash risk. I'm going to get back to Christina in just a moment, but first I need to tell you about a few things about the podcast. Here they are in no particular order. Ready? If you're looking for the Diabetes Pro Tip series, they begin at episode 210 in your podcast player, and they're also available at juiceboxpodcast.com and diabetesprotip.com. At those same links, you can find the Defining Diabetes series, the Variables series, the How We Eat series, the After Dark series. There's so many to choose from. All of the episodes of the show are available in the audio app of your choice and at juiceboxpodcast.com, you'll find links to the sponsors like Givoke Hypopen from just a moment ago and Touch by Type 1 and the Contour Next 1 Blood Glucose Meter and the Dexcom and the Omnipod and pretty soon the InPen and soon after that might be something else. You never know. Go check out the website, juiceboxpodcast.com. There's an entire series of episodes about algorithm-based pumping. Trust me, listen now, because if you want those algorithm pumps, they're here and coming. Omnipods is out. Tandem's out. Medtronic. We're all going to be pumping with the algorithm one day. You should understand what that's all about, don't you think? Don't you know? In my mind, I'm doing a Wisconsin accent. Coming out of my mouth, I just sound like an idiot. Couple last things. Uh, the Facebook page, the private Facebook group. Juicebox Podcast, Type 1 Diabetes. I believe it has about 23,000 members in it now. It's an absolutely wonderful place to learn more about using insulin, diabetes, and so much more. If you're enjoying the podcast, please share it with a friend. That really is the best way to support the show. If you're listening right now on your phone in a podcast app or any kind of audio player, really, like Amazon Music, uh, let me think, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere, if you're listening through those apps and you're not following or subscribed, would you please have subscribed for me, please? That'd be a nice subscribe or follow whatever your app supports. Um, I don't know. And if you're listening online, you should get an app for your phone. It's way easier. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just telling you it'd definitely be easier. Unless you like your life is specifically set up where you're listening on uh, like my website. And if you are, you know what I mean? It's cool. Just saying. Apps are great. You should try them. All right, let me get you back to Christina now. There's a lot more to her story. When I got my insulin pump, I'm very much a learn everything I can about something new. Um, so 
uh, my A1Cs, I hadn't done ever better than maybe a 7.5 when I was on injections. Um, and once I got my pump, um, the highest A1C that I had on my insulin pump was 6.2. Prior so, to that, when you were injecting, was that still, were you doing regular and MPH? Um, when I got the official type one diagnosis and my A1C had gone up into the eights, uh, that was the point that we determined that 70, 30 split just wasn't working good enough anymore okay. because my insulin production had dropped too low. So that was the point that we went ahead and switched to basal and long acting. Okay. Um, I had an interesting problem though, that I have side effects pretty much to every single basal insulin known to mankind. So that is a other another reason why we were able to get my insurance to cover a pump because I just, yeah, I actually for a while there went back to just doing long or just doing um, humalog only and injecting pretty much every two hours. So like Levamir, Lantus, um, yeah, Trajeo, um, kind of side effects. But just um, well, the worst one was weight gain. Uh, I would put on as much as five pounds a week. No change in diet. No change in exercise. The only difference was being on the basal insulin, but, um, I had significant problems sleeping. Like it really messed with my sleep cycle and my ability to get, even if I took it in the morning, I still wouldn't be able to get to sleep at night. Um, but I had other really weird ones like hot flashes, low back pain. Um, and I'd go off of it again for two weeks and all of the side effects would go away. Mm. And then we try another one and I'd have all this, but, but really that, when I switched back to basal insulin, I gained 30 pounds in about three months there just from trying to be on a basal insulin. Um, as long as I'm just on Humalog, I don't gain weight. But did you if, lose and, weight when yeah. you moved to when you moved to a pump and so you were only using Humalog, did you lose weight? Did it like magically fall um, off? I didn't lose weight, but my endo did say I was the first person she ever put on a pump that didn't gain weight in the first three months. She's most people suddenly have so much freedom to eat whatever they want on the pump that they gain weight. But I really was disciplined in my eating mm -hmm. already and really didn't see that changing moving to a pump. So she just congratulated me that I didn't gain weight on the yeah. pump. She's like, seriously, pretty much every one of my patients gains weight when they first go onto a pump because they can suddenly eat as much as they want. And so she just thought it was impressive that I didn't gain weight when I started on the pump. During that weight gain time, do you yeah. think do you think that you were taking in more calories than you were prior nope. to that? No. Nope. I was doing my same meals, same carb amounts, same calories. Um, yeah. I mean, I was doing everything exactly the same gotcha. as I had been doing on the 70-30 split insulin, and yet I was gaining weight every week. Hmm. Um, so I've online now met maybe three or four other people that had the exact same experience. It seems to be a little rare, but, um, and the fact it was, it was with other side effects too. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know my, it's, it's my body just really does not seem to like the basal insulins. And we did try, I mean, there was even some other lesser known ones that she tried me on and it's crazy. she just went, she just went, okay, I guess you're just weird here. So, Yes. I'm like, don't touch my Humalog. It works. I don't have side effects on it. And I'm scared to try anything else. <laughs> After my experience, I'm like, don't mess with my Humalog. It's fascinating. It, it works. Really, it really is. Well, and, can, can I so, ask you, um, you said in your, in your note, when you, when you signed up to be on the show, you have Addison's disease as well. <laughs> 
so yeah, that's initially what we came on to talk about. So um, yeah, so uh, in on April 18th, um, I actually had been having side effects since July of last year. Um, the first thing that happened, well, I had a really bad flare up of gastroparesis in July. Um, I actually had gotten hospitalized with that. Um, and once that kind of cleared, my appetite never came back. Like I just was never hungry. Um, and through that, I started really gaining, losing weight. Um, but my thought was, well, of course I'm losing weight. I'm not really eating. Um, and honestly, who's going to complain about losing weight? I mean, that was just like, oh, great. I can take some of these extra pounds off again. Right. Um, and when I was working with my GI doctor, we really were just assuming I was losing weight because I wasn't really eating. Um, honestly, I would go the whole entire day and unless I had some sort of reminder, I would just completely forget to eat. I had no appetite. Um, the other thing that started is I started getting really, really bad muscle cramps at night. Um, they just, I would wake up three, four five times a night with like Charlie horse, bad cramps in my legs. Um, I did eventually find like some supplements, magnesium and stuff that got them a little bit better. They never completely went away. Um, and I talked to my doctor about it and they're like, well, we can't find anything wrong. So you're just going to have to live with them. Um, so that was the next sign that something just wasn't quite right. But again, they're like, well, we can't find anything wrong. So you're just going to have to live with it. I do also have fibromyalgia and they're like, well, maybe it's just a new symptom of your fibromyalgia. And I thought, well, okay, maybe. Right. Christina, let's step um, back for one second here. Yeah. You've said a lot of things. So, yeah. um, <laughs> By the way, you're, you, I mean this in a good way because we're on a podcast, but you're chattier than I am. So, oh, I know. <laughs> so, get, all right. Is the is diabetes your first diagnosis? Uh, yes, okay. that was my very first. When do uh, we hear? Years ago. When do we hear um, gastroparesis? That developed kind of mid my first year, but they also told me that that was because I wasn't getting my A1C under control. Mm -hmm. But you, the, but that um, persists that, to this day. It does. Yeah. Um, most of the time I can go pretty long without a flare up. It's stress really seems to be a flare up for me. And I was having, um, some stress at that time. Um, I did, we did also figure out there's a medication that I had started last summer that was upsetting my stomach. Mm -hmm. So that really, I, I, it, I, if I'm, if I'm control, I can usually control it with diet and keeping good blood sugar under control. I usually need a couple of triggers to go into a flare up of the gastroparesis. Um, but yeah, there just was a perfect storm that happened that week that really flared it up bad. And I could, I, I could not keep food down at all. Okay. Um, so, um, I ended up, um, having to be admitted because I was not keeping food down at all. Um, so yeah. And then again, um, we got it back under control, but I just never, my appetite never came back. Um, so, and then other things I look back now, um, that I didn't necessarily attribute at the time, weird symptoms. Like I started startling really easily, which sounds like a really weird thing, but even if I knew something, someone was coming into the room, they still would startle me when they actually came in. I mean, it just, hmm fly would land next to me. And I, and it was not just like a quick startle. It was like a, felt like my heart stopped, took a couple minutes to recover kind of startle reflex. And I thought that was really weird. And then 
the fatigue, I started just getting really, really, really tired. Um, I always felt like I had no energy. Um, but I just kept thinking, okay, well, I just, I'm a kind of person that if they can't figure out, I'm just going to keep functioning the best I can. Um, but all of this came to a head in April. Um, um, I am a regular house sitter. Um, so I was on a house sitting job. It was a three week long job and it was a little more involved than usual. It was horses and chickens and, and dogs and everything. Um, and, um, it was for three weeks and I was really not feeling good during those weeks, which, and I just, people kept asking me, are you sick? And I'm like, well, I don't know really. I'm just really tired. I'm like, but I'm not, I don't have any other symptoms of being sick. Um, so we get to the last night of the house sitting job and, um, it was a Sunday and I even made the really unusual decision not to go to church that morning because I just was like, I am so tired. Oh, the other thing that happened is I started sleeping like 12 hours a night, um, during those last couple months, which was very unusual for me, but I just, I could not ever feel rested. I just, I would fall asleep at the drop of a hat. Um, and so I, um, got up, fed the horses, chickens, went back to bed and I slept to like one thirty that day, which is so unusual, mm. but I just was really, really, really tired. And I got up finally, because I'm like, I've got to get up. Not because I felt like I was still rested, but was just kind of like, um, Hey, it's one thirty. I should get up and at least try to be a human today. Um, and, um, I, uh, when I ate, when I hadn't ate, when I got up, um, it was a low carb, maybe like 20 carb meal. I took my insulin and I went low, which I thought was a little bit odd, but I ended up staying low, like in the fifties for like two hours. Mm. Um, I think by the time it was over, I'd gone through probably 120, 130 carbs. Um, I had a friend, my friend that's on my Dexcom that just kept texting me going, why aren't you coming back up? And I'm like, I don't know. I said, I just, it just is being a stubborn low. They happen sometimes, you know, but I just kept eating. And, um, I had planned since it was the last night of my house sitting to celebrate by ordering my favorite dinner from my favorite restaurant, which for me is a big treat. I've done it. I've done it at least a dozen times before knew how much my insulin was for it. So kind of, I don't know after eating all of those carbs, why I was still hungry. I still can't figure that out because that wasn't typical, but I had already had it in my mind. I'm going to order my favorite dinner tonight to celebrate the last night on this job and making through it. So, um, ordered the meal and because I'd had the persistent low, I did make the decision not to pre bolus the meal. Um, I thought, you know, because of this afternoon, I am going to just go ahead and eat and then wait to watch for my blood sugar to start going up. And then I'll go ahead and dose for this meal, but it was about an 80 carb meal. So more than I usually eat in a meal. Um, but, um, around the time I started to see the blood sugar, once it hit about 150, I thought, okay, I'm going to go ahead and bolus for my meal, did my normal bolus. And then I went outside to feed the animals because it was about that time to, to feed the horses and everything again. So, um, I had my phone out with me, but went out, um, seemed normal at first feeding the horses when I got to the chickens. I suddenly had this feeling something was not right. Like I suddenly felt like I was about to pass out. Like the symptoms of the low came on so fast. I can't even describe one second I was fine. And the next second 
I was like, something is not right. Pulled out my phone, looked at my Dexcom. Um, I think, I'm pretty sure the Dexcom still said something like 90, but it had like two double arrows down. Right. And I went, oh my goodness, something. And my first thought was, I don't have my blood glucose meter with me. I don't have any low treats with me. I have nothing. I don't have anything out with me out here. And I'm away from the house. Like I'm out with the animals. And so my first thought was I'd actually ridden my bike down and I thought, should I try riding my bike back? Should I just try to walk it back? Like my first thought is I need to, or should I just stop and call for help right from here? And as I'm quickly making decisions in my mind, my thought is I've got to get to my meter and see how low I am. Like I need to know how bad this is and I need to get to some sugar. So I made the very quick decision to hop on my bike, ride back up to the house. I don't know how I managed to do that. Got up, pulled my meter out, and I was at 36, hmm. which I've actually been in the 20s a couple of times and still conscious. So my first logical thought is, oh, 36 isn't that bad. I can still get ahead of this. I quickly downed a couple of, you know, applesauce pouches, and I'm not a gut feeling kind of person. <laughs> I'm a very logical look at the data and my mind screaming at me, this isn't really that low. This isn't really that bad, but I could not overcome this gut feeling that something was really, really wrong. Mm -hmm. And I still was struggling to stay conscious. And I'm out here in the middle of nowhere by myself. And I still cannot even tell you why, but I called 911. I just went, something's not right here. Something doesn't feel right. And I just had this overwhelming gut feeling, I need help. So um, I quickly sent a text to my friend who's like on my Dexcom share with a screenshot of the 36 blood sugar. And I said, I'm calling 911. Um, so I don't actually remember all that much about calling 911. I don't really remember. I think she quickly responded and said, oh, where, you know, I think I quickly screenshotted the address to her too of where I was. Um, called 911. I remember, you know, them asking for the address. I had it. I remember them asking for my phone number. And by the time they asked for my phone number, I could not get my phone number to come out. Like I could hear myself that yeah. I wasn't saying it right. Right. But I kept trying and I could not get it to come out of my mouth right. And she finally read it back from the screen. And I said, yes, that's it. And then she just said, what's wrong? And I said, my blood sugar's low. Something's wrong. I don't really remember much past that. I don't remember the paramedics showing up. I don't remember. I mean, I lost consciousness somewhere okay. in there. Um, and so I've heard the story back later. The paramedics got there at a reasonable amount of time. They started with the glucose gel um, in my mouth. And I think I came up a couple points and then dropped right back down to the low thirties. Um, apparently at that point, that was around the time that my friend showed up and she, they at first weren't going to let her in the house. They're like family only. And then she pulled up the, you know, the Dexcom on her phone and said, look, I'm her medical person. <laughs> and they're like, oh, okay. She's like, look, I've got her number right on my screen here. But she also told me later, she was not going to let them not let her in the house. Yeah. Like, she was coming in whether they wanted to or not, but she came in and the first thing she, she's like, she was able to tell the paramedics, no, this has never happened before. She has never had to call for help before. And they suddenly started taking it a little more seriously at that point when she was able to tell them that, no, she has never been low like this before. I've lost consciousness. Hmm. And um, 
But apparently they started like looking around the kitchen. They found a bottle of Powerade that they were able to get me to drink. Um, and again, I came up maybe like five, 10 points and then dropped right back down again. So at that point, apparently they tried finding some cookies that they tried to get me to eat. I don't know that I cooperated very well, but again, I would come up a little bit and then I was dropping right back down again and I was not regaining consciousness. And at that point they admitted to her, they'd never seen anything like this before. And one of the EMTs actually admitted he had never had anyone not respond to the glucose gel in the mouth. So at that point, I guess they called the hospital kind of to say, what else do we do? Like we've never seen this before where she's not regaining consciousness and her blood sugar was just keep dropping right back down. So they were advised to set up an IV and start dextrose. Um, so from what I heard later, it took the third injection of dextrose for me to finally start coming back to consciousness. Do you think this was gastroparesis? No, no. I will actually explain in a moment what this ended up being. Oh so, my God. all right, I'm um, <laughs> So, Christina, are you um, okay? Do you need a break or anything like that? Like I. When, oh, when I make these, no, we're, you're okay. We're, we're good. We're good. We we're make, good. I make these podcasts uh, and I'll later do a transcript of it. And I think it's going to say yeah. that you spoke for 90% of the time because, I, <laughs> and, and I keep, I keep thinking of questions and then you keep answering that. I'm, I'm like, I don't well, think she needs me. So, uh, all right. It's okay. Keep going. I'm fine. So, um, all I remember when I first started coming to is I immediately started dry heaving. And the first thing I said was, did you give me glucagon? And the guy went, no, but we have pumped you through so much sugar through you that that's probably why you're nauseous. Yeah. Um, but so they gave me um, some Zofrin and that kind of stopped um, me the, from the dry heaving. But I just, I was absolutely soaked in sweat. Mm. Like I felt like I had had a bucket of water thrown on me. I just remember feeling really kind of, out of it still kind of what's going on. I didn't realize until the next day I was unconscious for nearly an hour. Wow. Holy crap. Really? Yes. Ooh. Yes. I didn't realize. I mean, to me, it felt like maybe five minutes, Okay. but I mean, at the 45 minute point, my friend really, she was convinced I was going to die. She really, at that point did not think they were going to bring me back because they were doing everything they knew to do. And I would not come back to consciousness. And she said, you know, she says, really, by the time they got to 45 minutes, she's like, and I saw on their face how perplexed they were that they could not get you back mm -hmm. to consciousness. So it was decided they did decide to go ahead and transport me. I was in the mindset that I'm like, I don't know. Do I need to go to the hospital? I'm conscious now. And my friend was just said, they need to try to, they need to know what happened. Um, they, right. they, you need to go get checked out to find out why you dropped so low. Um, at the time, I was still on the Medtronic pump that's under a recall. So there was some, well, maybe your pump malfunctioned questions going around. Um, so, yeah, I went to the ER and honestly, they did all kinds of checking out. They couldn't find any real alarms of anything to explain this. We checked it from a pump. It really didn't seem like it malfunctioned. Um, the crazy thing, and I actually questioned the ER doctor this, we ended up having my pump completely off for over four hours and my blood sugar hadn't budged above a hundred. And I even asked the doctor, how has my basal been off for so long? And I haven't gone up. And yeah. he went, I don't know. He's like, so anyway, 
long story short, they had me do a follow-up with my primary care doctor. And as I related the story to him, the first thing he said is, you were in a cortisol crash. And I went, what? He's like, I think you have Addison's. And he started asking questions. He's like, that would explain the weight loss. That would explain the muscle spasms you're having. That would explain this blood sugar crash you had. So essentially, um, when you have Addison's, your adrenals no longer make the hormone cortisol. Cortisol is really important, especially to type 1 diabetics, because without cortisol, your liver doesn't break down your food for sugar and does not release the sugar into your bloodstream. Mm -hmm. So the reason I've crashed earlier at lunch, I didn't crash as bad because it was only 20 carbs, whereas this one was 80 carbs. So I took a lot more insulin um, for the dinner. But essentially, the process that your body needs to break down your and release sugar into your bloodstream stops when you don't have cortisol. Now, of all things they tested at the hospital, they didn't test my cortisol level which a really good ER doctor should have tested that and saw that I had my cortisol was probably at zero um, and should have clued them in that that was actually the issue that was happening. So um, until we got all the testing done and I started on medication that next two weeks, I was only taking about 25% of my normal insulin, both wow. facial and um, mealtime. because. Two weeks? Yeah, yeah, unfortunately, I really pushed them to admit me and get it done, and they wouldn't go for that. Okay. So they made me wait to go through all the testing as an outpatient, mm. which took close Forever. to two weeks, yeah. which I really was frustrated with. Um, but they're like, as long as your blood pressure is not dropping, you're stable. So just try not to stress yourself. So um, that's its particular effect on um, type 1. Also, the treatment for Addison's is steroids. Um, so if your steroid levels are right, it doesn't actually make your blood sugar go up. It just brings it back to what it normally would be without the steroids because of the Addison's. Um, because of the Addison's yeah, yeah. cause okay. it's basically just replacing the cortisol the, that you're no be. longer making, right. but there is no way at home to test your cortisol level. So it's basically a guessing game because your cortisol levels fluctuate throughout the day and they also fluctuate based on how stressed you are and how active you are. Mm -hmm. So um, I tend to in particular be a person with the way my job is right now. I have days I'm in the office that I'm really active and I have days at home where I basically sit the whole day. Mm -hmm. So my cortisol needs are different on those days and it's still a guessing game to try to guess how much I need to take based on how active I am that I see, day. I see. So, um, and it's, what's really interesting is now if I have a low blood sugar, I have to stop and ask myself, is this a low blood sugar because of too much insulin or is this a low blood sugar because I don't have enough cortisol? How do you know? There's some subtle differences in how they feel. It's a little bit of trial and error. Sometimes it's situational going, oh, I haven't had a dose of hydrocortisone in four hours. So this is or your five hours. So it's probably wearing off. I probably need a little more. Um, I will start getting muscle cramping when my cortisol is going too low. So obviously if my blood sugar is low and I'm also getting some muscle cramps, then it's a cortisol issue. Um, I can't really fully put it into words, but they do feel slightly different. How and do you I am, bump it back though? Like if, so, in a, in a crisis, is there something you can do? Uh, I'm on oral steroids. So I take a dose of steroids 
and I treat the low. Okay. So I eat some carbs and I take a dose of cortisol of the the steroids that will then bring my cortisol level back up to where it needs to be. The oral steroids are uh, a consistent constant for you every day. Yes. I cannot go even one day without steroids. Um, If you don't have enough cortisol, your body shuts down and dies. Okay. So without the oral um, steroids, um, I can die within a matter of hours. Um, it's also, if I were to be in a car accident or something like that, I now have to wear ID that says I have Addison's because if they don't give me an immediate dose of steroids, um, I could quickly die from, um, not because, um, normally a normal person, if you're in an accident, you're, you suddenly, your body will like triple how much cortisol it's making. Mm -hmm. But since my adrenals can no longer make cortisol, I need to, um, no. And I, I, it's, what's really interesting. So about a month after diagnosis, I actually broke my ankle. <laughs> so I got to experience stress dosing. Um, you have to take about twice your normal amount of steroids when you have an injury or illness because your body needs more cortisol to help your body heal from the injury. So yeah. I already got to experience the up dosing and the increased steroids need needed um, after that. So, um, it just, if you think type one is hard to begin with, when you add something like Addison's in, it just becomes that much more complicated to decide, okay, is this an Addison's issue or is this a insulin issue? Um, what's really interesting. So I don't get adrenaline rises anymore either. Um, I don't get and, you know, if I'm, if I'm excited about something, my blood sugar doesn't go up anymore because there's not the natural cortisol release that other people would get. Have, yeah. So, um, it's really in a lot of ways feeling like knowing my di- having to learn my diabetes all over again too. Um, and honestly, I had somebody else suggest this. They, it would be so much easier for a life if they would make a cortisol meter for home where we could test our cortisol and um, because honestly, it's a still a guessing game. Um, you get symptoms. If you have too much, you get symptoms. If you have too little, um, how do you get rid and, of too much? Do you just scare yourself? No, you just have to wait for it to, well, you could get up and try to move around more and try to get your body to absorb it more. But no. um, okay. most of the time it's just wait, wait it out. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I've been looking while you're talking. I mean, Addison's is a rare disease, like fewer, fewer than 200,000, fewer than 200,000 Americans have it. That's, yeah. a, that's why you're not getting a meter. And, as right. But yeah. as type one diabetics, we are 10 times more likely to develop Addison's than the general public. Oh, so a, a fair amount of that 200,000 has type one you're saying. So there is actually a group on Facebook of people who have type one and Addison's. Um, and from my experience talking to people, whichever one they got second is the one they most would like to get rid of. So if <laughs> they had Addison's first and then got type one, they hate the type one more than the Addison's. Interesting. If they had the type one first and then got Addison's, they hate the Addison's more because it is, is it, Addison's autoimmune. It is. Yes. And it, it's pretty much on the same autoimmune spectrum as type one and thyroid What about, because it's the endocrine system. Yeah, I was going to ask, do you have thyroid? disease? Actually, I don't. 
that seems to be one of the few ones, few yeah. diseases. I have quite a few autoimmune issues at this point. I somehow have still managed to avoid um, thyroid. What about the fibromyalgia? Um, Is there anything you can do for that? Um, I do have a muscle relaxant medication I can take if it gets really bad, but it also makes you really drowsy. So you can't really function while you're taking it. Okay. Um, so I do, I actually do take it at night to kind of, cause I can't otherwise get my muscles to relax enough to sleep at night. Usually does the, uh, so does, I do take a muscle relaxant at bedtime. Does, does the weed help? Christina? Um, do, you, do you ever try that? Oh, you know, I, I actually tried I tried the CBD oil. Um, I didn't find that that actually did yeah, anything I don't for that's me. Anything. So yeah, um, yeah. that might be a marketing scam. But I mean, like, yeah, I, I, like I want to try to be able to function somewhat. So um, I don't want to do the actual hard stuff. Um, okay. But um, yeah, it is. It is what it is. I, I'm mostly able to function. Again, stress is a really big trigger that will make it worse. So I do also just try to. Um, avoid as, I mean, it's not, it's not possible to always avoid stress in your life, but mm-hmm. I do my best. Um, I do, um, uh, I do water aerobics twice a week. Um, that really does seem to help with the fibromyalgia, um, because it's low impact muscle, um, exercise. Yeah. Low, low impact movement. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, but this Addison's has been, um, and honestly, I still am in the period of time where we're still trying to find the right combination of steroids that's going to work best. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say I'm maybe 50% better than I was at diagnosis, but I still am not back to where I was before all of the symptoms started a year ago. I see. Um, I still tend to sleep more than I used to. Um, yeah. Um, energies. I, I, I am fully addicted to caffeine again right now. It's kind Anything of. Anything else come with it? Do you get headaches or is there anything Um, not necessarily from the, from the Addison's. Um, I do tend to still want to err on the side of not having quite enough because for me, the symptoms of having too much is worse. Um, what are those? So yeah, uh, I get all jittery, um, and I can't sleep if I've gotten too much before bedtime, it's like not going to sleep pretty much. I mean, I, I kind of will go in and out of sleep, but it's, and I'm aware of the time the whole night kind of sleep. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's really nothing you can do, but just try to let it work its way out of your system. So, um, yeah, it's, but I just, I just, I can't fully explain it. It's just really annoying having too much in your system. It's just a very, uh, jittery. And I just, and I feel like I can't think straight. Gotcha. Um, how about your extended family? Is there any autoimmune stuff going on with those people? I do have one sister with some autoimmune issues. Um, it's no, no diabetes really. Um, I've had a few older relatives get type two since, since my diagnosis, but, um, no type one that we're aware of. Um, there has, I've had, I've had grandparents and, um, aunts and uncles with autoimmune issues as well. So, um, there does seem to be some precedent for the autoimmune. Um, there seems to be a few people in each generation that just seems to get all of it. Hmm. Um, in, I, in your family line, like it, it in my family line, as I look a bunch back, of people and just there's just yeah. one kid gets the the full mountain. yeah yeah yeah. So like my grandpa seems to be the one of of in his family that was the one that got autoimmune stuff. Um, and of my mom, my mom's one of six kids, and a couple of them have seemed to get 
some of the autoimmune stuff. And then there's six kids in my family too. And two of us have seemed to be the ones that have gotten some more of the autoimmune Do you have stuff, any children? So. I don't. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't. Um, a lot of kids that I'm an honorary aunt to, but um, none of my own. So would all um, this present problems if you wanted to? I still have held out some hope of maybe still having some children, obviously at 42, I'm starting to run out of time. And I've just really wanted to try to get my health stable and it just doesn't seem to want to stabilize. So yeah, I, um, I can't seem to go more than a couple of years without a new diagnosis. So I've kind of accepted at this point, it's probably not going to happen. Um, I still would consider adoption at some point. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's more of, would I be able to physically handle the stress of it? And I don't know at this point that I'd want to put my body through. Um, yeah. What might uh, happen? Like, Listen, yeah, it if, just, if you're going to adopt, uh, get like a 16 year old, 15, you know, <laughs> enjoy them for a couple of months, then move them right along to college. Um, I'm 15 well, and I'm exhausted. So I don't know. What, what's interesting you know. is I would consider taking a type one child too, that needed a home. So, yeah. I mean, I feel like at this point, and I will have to say, Scott, that I only started finally listening to your podcast earlier this year. Um, but what's really funny is I recommended I've recommended it to other people for at least the last year. Some some reason I got it in, incorrectly in my mind that it was mostly an adult uh, parenting type one. Yeah, um, I don't podcast. see it as being. I don't see it as leaning towards either, to be honest. Right. Well, I know that now, but before I listened to it, I really thought it was just for parents of type one. I can understand that. So, yeah. but then somebody on Instagram posted the quick start listen to guide. Mm -hmm. And I finally went, okay, but I still think I thought I was listening so I could tell other parents of type ones about it. I wasn't starting to listen thinking it had anything to do with me. Oh, okay. But then also I wouldn't really have considered myself struggling um, because I kind of, had, I got to know my own diabetes really well. And I am more of a logically analytical minded kind of person. Mm -hmm. So I was able to see, oh, my baseline needs to be just a little bit here um, kind of things. And I could look at my graphs and kind of probably understand that a little bit better than some people. But um, I will have to say my best A1C before the podcast was about 5.8. And since the podcast, it's now been 5.4. Mm. I like this part of the conversation so, when I get accolades. I would I'm say the two kidding. big things that I learned from the podcast that I was not doing is I stopped staring at high blood sugars, waiting four hours for them to respond before I did something else. Because that was a rule that I had learned that I just stuck with. Um, and um, I really upped my game a little bit more on the pre-bolusing. Um, I I kind of sort of would maybe do a five or 10 minute, but I had meals. I knew I needed a longer pre-bolus and was just a little too lazy. And I've really kind of upped my game on getting that better of knowing my pre-bolus times for my different meals. Yeah. That's amazing. I saved your life basically. So, I'm just teasing. Well, <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, I do just love hearing the stories of I, other can people. Can I tell you something that this morning, I listened to an episode this morning. Now, I know if that sounds odd to people or not. I recorded it. I put it through an edit process. You know, I added ads to it. I uploaded it online. And then I thought, I, I want, there was something, I, I wanted to listen to something this morning. And the other things that I listened to 
didn't have new content. And I thought, I'm going to listen to Susan. Like, there's an episode that just went up with uh, an older woman uh, who has type 1 and um, multiple myeloma. And uh, I, I just remembered it being a really good conversation. And I was like, well, I'm going to listen to it. And as I was listening, I thought, this has as much to do with diabetes as it doesn't, as it does the, to do about life and, you know, uh, even like I think your conversation today is a little more about attitude and and um, perspective, yeah. things like that, you know? Yeah, well, I will have to say some lessons I've learned through this. First of all, if you were even thinking you should call 911, call 911. <laughs> I mean, seriously, even as I was calling in the back of my mind, I thought by the time they show up, the sugar I just ate is going to kick in and I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be all embarrassed that I called them. But literally the paramedic told me on the way to the hospital, if I had not called when I did, I would have died. Yeah, They, they would not have found me in time. By the time the Dexcom finally caught up and my friend realized there was a problem, You'd have been out of it by then, yeah. I would have, I would have been probably seizing by that point. And, yeah, and they were just I, keeping you bouncing above that seizing line. For right. Exactly. Hour. They yeah. were only just keeping me right above 30. Like they were not getting me right. to come back up. And I mean, he said later, if they calculated it was someone somewhere close to probably about the equivalent of 200 carbs yeah. that it took to finally just get me to come up above 40. So, um, and that's even more, even if you were conscious, that's even more than you would have thought. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He's like, he's like, and, and like, but the fact that I was unconscious by the time they got there, like if I had even delayed a few more minutes trying to deal with it myself, I probably would have passed out before I got enough information to the 911. It's funny dispatcher. that it must and, be a very common thing because a, a very long time ago I was having an appendix my appendix was getting ready to rupture, right? And mm-hmm. I was home alone with my son. He was a bait like still in diapers and he's 21 now. So it's a long time ago. And I uh I remember thinking, "Oh, we'll just go to bed. I'll feel better in the morning." And uh I th- I thought, "Well, I'll I'll get him ready for bed. I'll put him to bed. And then I'm going to get in bed. Now, Kelly was away. Uh, she was on a work trip. And actually, we were supposed to get up in the morning and fly to where she was, which is a longer part of the story, not important to this part. Um, so I'm like, I'll be fine. Like, I'll wake up in the morning. This will be gone. And I take him into his room, and I try to lift him up to put him on the changing table. And I almost, like, just dropped him. I, like, barely, I basically had to uh-huh. throw him up there before I lost control of him. I collapse on the floor. I pick the phone up. I call 911. And the pain kind of passes, and I hang up. And so then I get I get myself up, and I'm I'm messing with his diaper, and uh, the phone rings, and I answered it, and the woman's like, "This is nine one one. Did you yeah. just call nine one one?" And I said, "I did, but then I decided I didn't need it." And she goes, "That's not usually how nine one one works." And I went, <laughs> "Okay." And she goes, "What's wrong?" And I started explaining it to her, and she's like, "I'm sending an ambulance." Yeah. Uh, I was like, "I think I'm going to be okay," and she's like, "Hmm." No. <laughs> like, well, thank you. And I was having emergency surgery like six hours later. So, you know. yeah, no, I, and I, the, uh, so that's one lesson. If you are even in the back of your mind thinking you'd rather be embarrassed than dead. So if it's even crossing your mind, maybe I should call 911, call 911. Yeah. Dead people don't and get to be embarrassed. Yeah. Yeah. And the second thing that I've learned through this is you can do everything right. You can be the best diabetic there is. And Something like this can happen, but if it's still not the time that God decided for you to go, you're not going to die. I mean, I still cannot explain why I called 911 or what even put that thought in my mind, but 
I really just come back to it as it was not my time hmm. and uh, things worked out. And so not that I ever had a really big fear of lows before, but this has given me even a little bit more peace that I'm not going to stress about avoiding every possible disaster because all I can do is my best and all I can ask of myself is my best. And, but I have to definitely reminded myself to listen to those gut feelings a little bit more. I think it's interesting. Because, the people um, that, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Sorry. No, no you're I basically have been through every diabetic's worst nightmare and I'm still here. Yeah. I, 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 all I was going to say is that I think it's for a person who doesn't have like autoimmune diseases or, um, you know, especially type one, everybody just feels like, I don't know, like death doesn't seem like a real thing to most people, right? Like yeah, it's, yeah. It, 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 the end of your life, it feels like a an eternity from now. And so you never live with that feeling of that something bad could happen until you really know that something bad could happen. And then it's yeah. almost a little liberating. Yeah. Y you know what yeah. I mean? Like a little bit yeah. like, like, okay, so whatever, like, I guess anything might happen. And um, right. instead right. of, instead of feeling like, like there's magic to it where, you know, everybody gets, the, I mean, honestly, if you ask any person, when do they think they're going to die? Everybody's like, Oh, probably in my like eighties or nineties, you know, like you go ahead and look right. at actuarial tables. That's right. when we all die, you, you know, like, so p you just get that feeling of it's going to be okay. I'm going to be all right. And I don't mean that you have the opposite feeling. I mean that I would think you would have some sort of, like I said, just clarity about it, but yeah. Yeah. Know. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely had my days where I've gone, Oh my goodness, I'm so tired of dealing with this. Why didn't I just die that night and be done with this? I mm. mean, I can't, I have to admit that's crossed my mind a couple of times and I go, but no, honestly, I'm still here for a reason and I've still got purpose here. And honestly, statistics say that there's a very good chance there's at least one person that's listening to this that's developed the symptoms of Addison's and hadn't, hasn't even been diagnosed yet because honestly, most people's stories that I've heard, they have almost died before finally getting diagnosed. It's one of those rare diseases oh. um, that doctors just aren't good at looking for in people. It's not the first thing that's going to come to their mind. So mm. I just tell people, if you think there's even a chance you can have this, um, the standard test that they start with is a morning cortisol test. But I actually also know from experience, my own experience, you, you can actually continue to pass the morning cortisol test and not have enough cortisol through the end of the rest of the day. So I've told people if it comes back normal and you still are suspicious of a cortisol issue, ask for a 24 hour cortisol collection test. Ooh, is that a thing where you have to pee in a thing that, like all day? Long? Yes, it is. Oh, yeah, it is. Like but that is really the best way to determine if you're making enough cortisol because it, it slowly dies out. Mm -hmm. um, I actually can point back to a surgery I had three years ago where my blood pressure kept crashing after surgery. And I actually think in hindsight that I was already starting to struggle making a cortisol back then. Interesting. Um, because I can point back to situations of stress like that, where I was having weird symptoms um, that I think now were actually because in those times of stress, I wasn't able to make enough, even if I was had enough for most days. Yeah, here it was already, it was already on decline. Um, but yeah, it's, been since July of, I mean, I lost 50 pounds between July of last year and April. Jesus. That's a lot. I mean, yeah. there was 
And yet the doctors kept saying, we're not, we can't find anything wrong. So <laughs> when you're losing but, weight like that and you're not trying, you got to be like, nah, something's wrong, right? Did you think you had cancer? Well, they kept saying, well, what are you eating? I'm like, well, yeah, I kind of not really eating. Oh, I don't eat much. Oh, okay. I would have thought I had cancer, just so you know. I would have been like, that's definitely what's happening. My GI doctor kept trying to find ways to get me to talk, you know, to eat more, um, thinking that that's why I was continuing to lose weight. But I, seriously, I had days where I had maybe a salad and that's all I had the whole day. Hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I would do maybe a protein shake here and there, but I mean, I just, I was not hungry. And honestly, I loved that I was losing weight without trying. Is so. the lack of hunger something I, to do with the Addisons? Yes. When you don't have cortisol to break down your food for energy, the natural response of your body is to just not be hungry because it's not doing anything with the food. Interesting. But that's also why you get so incredibly fatigued and start sleeping so much because you're, you're not getting any energy from your food yeah. or um, because even when you eat, I don't know exactly where the food is going when it's not being broken down. I don't completely understand that process. Were you able to force yourself to eat when you weren't hungry? To a certain point. Um, yeah. I mean, there was times. Yeah. I mean, I occasionally would still stop and get my favorite meal, which was encouragement to eat. But um, even when I ate, I still was losing weight. So okay. I just, yeah, but I just, it, food had no appeal to me. I just, I wasn't in the mood to ever eat anything. Like usually when you're hungry, you like have something you are thinking about, Oh, I didn't enjoy eating that. There just wasn't ever that feeling of, Oh, I could really go for a good, you know, mm. burger right now. Or, yeah. um, Hey, I'd love a piece of chocolate right now. There just wasn't ever any of those thoughts or feelings. Gotcha. I, food had no interest to me. So, and um, any specific food over another or no, like was like, nope. nothing like that. Nope. Just, okay. just no interest in eating. Um, I, yeah, I, I can't really explain it other than food had no appeal. Gotcha. Um, and so I just, and, and honestly, half the time, it's just, I didn't even think about eating. I'd get to nighttime and go, Oh my goodness, I haven't even eaten all day. Mm -hmm. And it just, because I wasn't hungry, I didn't ever think about it. And uh, yeah, it, it just, it, it was weird. And in hindsight, it makes so sense. I really should have been paying closer attention thinking, okay, this is not normal. Well, um, and pushing a little bit harder to, yeah. okay, figure this out something, but I, yeah, I don't know. I, I deal with a lot of health stuff and in a lot of ways I'm used to just pushing through no matter how I feel. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of got in that mindset again. Um, it's hard to look. It's it's hard to even want to look deeper sometimes. Like you're like, oh God, there's another. Oh, thing. exactly, yeah. exactly. It's like, well, and here's a, other interesting things that I've realized now. So the startling, that's because your stress response is not working properly. Um, so you're over, you're over, your body can't properly respond to stimuli without the cortisols, which is why I was startling so bad. But mm -hmm. there was other random things like my fingernails were breaking all the time, which I thought was kind of odd. But that ended up being a cortisol issue. I mean, there's just was really random things that I figured out after I got on the medication going, oh, right. is that why that was happening? Well, um, I want to I thank you for sharing this with me, because if any yeah. of this stuff ever happens to people I know, I'm going to know immediately from all of your stories. So, yeah, <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to yeah. turn into the autoimmune doctor house if I keep doing this much longer. <laughs> Just be like, well, your nails like, are breaking and you're startling oddly. I know what that is. <laughs> so. Well, the, the really classic ones are the loss of appetite, 
the weight loss and um, the the tiredness. I mean, the fatigue was at levels I have never experienced before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had people that would just look at me going, you don't look good. And I'm like, yeah, I am really tired. And um, I mean, I just, I just was dragging um, through life um, and it was noticeable to other people. And so th- those are considered the classic gotcha. symptoms um, of Addison's um, and I appreciate it. I really, I want to thank you so much for doing this and for reaching out. And mm-hmm. it's definitely not uh, a topic that a lot of people have, have spoken to me about. So I'm really happy to add this to the podcast. I appreciate it very much. Yeah. Well, I'm just, I want people to be able to learn from what I've been through. If I can get anyone to avoid almost dying like I did, um, that that's a win. And honestly, it's, it's, there's, there's many people that think that there are people that have died from Addison's without ever knowing they died from Addison's because it's not something they necessarily test for, um, post-mortem either. Oh, I see. Um, so Mm. yeah, I mean, there, they assume there's actually probably diabetics that have died from a low blood sugar that probably had something extra going on like this and didn't know it. Mm. I mean, if I had died that night, I People don't think anyone ever would have sugar. known. Yeah, that would have been. I don't think they would have just assumed I died from a low blood trigger. I don't think anyone ever would have realized oh, that I had Addison's. So, wow. um, yeah. I appreciate so, you adding yes. that. Yeah, that, that's a, an interesting way to end because I it didn't occur to me either. That, that is yeah, no, I, I realized if I had died that night, they would have just put it down that I died from a low blood trigger. They wouldn't have ever gone and looked into anything else. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Um, I, again, I really appreciate you doing this. I want to thank you very well, much. I appreciate you having me. I, I really just want people to be aware. Um, and especially type ones. Um, they do say, if you read online that the average age for Addison's diagnosis is, is between 30 and 50, but there are parents in our group on Facebook who have children who have both type one and Addison's. Mm-hmm. So it really can happen at any age. What's, what's that Facebook group called? Uh, I think it's pretty simple, but I can, it's pretty simple, uh, it's a stupid name for it. I think no, it's, it's a pretty simple, simple, stupid name of, um, <laughs> yeah, it's type, type one diabetes, type one diabetes and Addison's disease is the name of the group. So, um, yeah, it's pretty easy to find. Um, okay. I just want on you to, Facebook. I wanted you to say it here so that people yeah. find it if they need it. Yeah. And, um, I do talk, uh, pretty regularly on my Instagram about living with Addison's and type one. So, um, what's your, what's your um, Instagram handle? Uh, Kriya, C-R-I-A underscore T1D. Cool. All right. So yeah, I also bring awareness there of what it's like living with type one and Addison's. I appreciate it. Um, so cool. But yes, I, I really appreciate the podcast and I share it with others as much as I can of, how much I've even learned since listening to it and going, you're right. Why am I still following these rules? I know myself better than this. <laughs> well, now that why you know, why am I, why am I staring at this high blood sugar? I know after an hour, if it hasn't budged, it's not going to budge. Right. So. Now, now that you know that the podcast I, is for everybody, it's easy to, it's, is it easier to share it now? Do you ever get to share it with adults? I do, but I haven't been able to convince anyone to listen yet. So Jeez. maybe if I'm when when I tell them to come listen to mine, maybe they'll hear this and realize they need to start listening to the others yeah. too. Well, if they're here now, you motherfucker, listen to Christina. She knows what she's talking about. <laughs> so yeah, I'm like, 
I really wish that I had this a diagnosis. I would have been so much better off. Tough sell though, um, right, Christina? A guy that doesn't have diabetes is going to talk to you about diabetes. Well, exactly, exactly. And yeah. some of the some of your concepts do sound really radical. Like, do they really? But honestly, they were, well compared to what the doctors are saying to do. I hear you. Yeah, I mean, they sound dangerous almost to someone who doesn't know better. But again, you know your own diabetes better than your doctor does. That's right. And yeah, so um, I, I completely understand when people with type one, especially adults who have had it for a long time, wouldn't be interested in listening to the podcast. Like I get it, yeah. but I, I, there's enough people listening now that I know that a lot of you would like it. So you should hang well, around. What should and again, the- as you said, I wouldn't have considered myself struggling. I mean, I had good A1Cs and I felt like I knew what I was doing. So right. I didn't necessarily feel a great need to go learn more. Um, but I did learn more and I do really enjoy hearing the stories of other people sharing well, their thank journeys you. too. I so. appreciate that. So if anybody's here just to go listen ahead. to Christina, you should go check out what do you think the pro tip episodes or just listen to some other stories or something like that. I would say message me and Oh, well, actually I will say when this goes up all for a few days on Instagram, post the ones that I would say to go start listening to. Oh, Look at you. Thank you very much. So, I appreciate it. Go that. follow me on Instagram and I will make sure that I share. Here's my favorite one. Christina, you sly little social media pimp. Look what you're doing. <laughs> like, like, I'm not going to give it all away here, Scott. They got to come find me on Instagram. Well, I'm, I don't have a ready list in front of me and I'm going to feel like I'm going to forget yeah, one. Right. And I'm a perfectionist. All so right. I want to make sure that well, I have a ready list right, cool. available. Listen, I, I got to go. I have to go get Arden's okay. eyebrows waxed. She's getting her, yeah. or, or not oh, waxed. She does, she does threading. Oh, my God. I can't believe I said waxing. She does threading, and uh, she's getting her senior portraits done tomorrow. So I am in charge of taking her to that right now. Um, but thank you very much for doing this with me. Hold oh, on. you're welcome. Thank you for having me. A huge thank you to one of today's sponsors, Gvoke Glucagon. Find out more about Gvoke Hypopen at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juice box. You spell that G-V-O-K-E-G-L-U-C-A-G-O-N dot com forward slash juice box. It's been a long episode. I'm not going to hit you with too much here at the end. Just all the rest. Find the Facebook page. Take the T1D Exchange survey, support the sponsors, share the podcast with a friend. If you're listening in a podcast app, please subscribe and follow. And if you're not listening in an app, come on, it's 2022. Get yourself an audio app. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back very soon with another episode of the Juicebox Podcast.